You know, we are just recently out of Afghanistan. And that's why building the Global War on Terrorism Memorial has been so important to me, is that the years will pass and memories will fade. But if we have a memorial on our National Mall, it will be there forever. And these families, the communities, um, will have a place to come and remember their loved ones and the significant sacrifice that was given, uh, fighting terrorism around the globe. And those Gold Star families, the wonderful families that lost a loved one, um, they, they will have a place of healing as well. Welcome to season two of the Policy Vets podcast, engaging with leaders, scholars, and strong voices to fill a void in support of policy development for America's veterans. With your host, former Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dr. David Shulkin, and the Executive Director of Policy Vets, Lou Chelley. Today's guest, Senator Joni Ernst, a former military officer now serving as the United States Senator for Iowa. Mr. Secretary, we have a guest today that hits on a bunch of topics that we've been following and, and, and a couple we haven't yet. Yeah, I think I'm excited to talk to Senator Ernst. You know, she's one of those people that because of her background, because she served directly in the military, she actually knows from experience how to represent and how to advocate on behalf of those that are currently serving, but also on veterans. And, you know, one of the things I'd love to see people like Senator Ernst get on the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, because, you know, having that experience and talking from a personal perspective is so important. But she continues to fight for military sexual assault victims. She continues to fight on issues of mental health. She's always out in front in trying to make sure that people understand why it's important that we have such a strong military today. No, I think you're exactly right. And having her on a committee like uh, Veterans Affairs would be critic would be crucial because she is someone who has been reaching across the aisle, who has been able to get legislation passed that uh, that benefits not only the veteran community, but the active duty uh, and military community, because VA is really not all that that veterans care about. There are so many issues that go into what makes a veteran and what makes a, a military family whole. Yeah. And she is on the Senate Armed Forces Committee, of course, which is a very powerful assignment. And it's good to see her expertise there. But I think you mentioned something that I think is so important that I hope is going to come out in our interview is, is that she is a she's a Republican, but she has no problem working with the other side of the aisle when it comes to these types of issues. And I think, you know, the country just views uh, the Senate, the, the Congress as being so dysfunctional that it can't work together. But she's showing that she is willing to work with Democrats when it comes to supporting our military and our veterans. Well, and she's able to find common ground. I mean, while while she supports a, a strong and, uh, and and robust Department of Defense, she's also very critical of the DOD and has asked a couple of different secretaries to commit to spending reforms to make sure that they're being good stewards of, uh, of, the, uh, of the people's money and really making sure that wasteful spending has been as eliminated as possible. I know it's tough with the DOD with their budget, but she's, she's actually had secretaries publicly denounce um, wasteful spending. Yeah. 
And this is an interesting time to be talking to her because, you know, while the pandemic is still in the headlines, the issue of what's happening in the Ukraine with the Russian troops amassing on the borders, the issues of what's happening in China with their aggressiveness, uh, it feels like something's about to happen. And so talking to somebody like her now about how we should be thinking about this, this is a really important time. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, I want to know, so what's the difference between, say, Crimea and Ukraine, right? So when when Russia annexed Crimea, let's face it, we, we kind of sat back and wrung our hands and said that was bad. Don't do that again. And, you know, what gives what gives our allies in Crimea the the sense of comfort to know that the United States will be there to protect them? Well, I think I think the difference is most Americans wouldn't be able to tell you where Crimea is. The Ukraine, when the Soviet Union broke up, this was one of their most populous areas. The Ukraine has been extremely pro-democratic, even what I would say very pro-American. And um, this one is probably too big to sort of just sweep it under the rug. This is this is going to be a major uh policy and military point if the Russians cross that border. No, you're exactly right. And, and again, it, it's it's not just Russia. It's China. It's North Korea. Um, you know, it's really the, the more organized states that are now coming to, to, to threaten really just the values that we hold dear to us you know, around the world in, in many in, in many developed countries. So we're not hearing that much lately about things like uh, the Islamic State or, you know, these these smaller guerrilla type operations, but hearing much more about these, you know, bigger armies and well-organized threats. But, you know, it doesn't take much to understand that these situations can be brought home domestically. There was that very recent event in Texas in the synagogue. And, you know, that was a foreign national. Clearly, um, there have already been arrests over in the United Kingdom. And we're talking about organized, you know, global networks that we don't have the full picture of yet. But, you know, this is not a far reach to understand that if you don't deal with this effectively, it is coming back to the homeland. Well, we are so lucky to have Senator, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ernst, who um, you know, serves on the, um, you know, on the Senate Armed Services Committee and will be able to talk us through some of these issues. Let's hear from the senator. I can't wait. Let's get her in here. Senator Erst, thank you so much for joining us at the Policy Vets podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much, Lewis. Senator, again, my my welcome to the podcast as well. As you know, our listeners are military, active military and veterans and very interested in what you have to say. But I think for those that don't know you as well and your commitment to our veterans, would you mind just telling us just a little bit about your own experience in the military and your time in uniform? 
Yeah, absolutely, David. Thank you so much. Um, I started my career in the military as a young reserve officer. I was in Army ROTC at Iowa State University and was commissioned as a military engineer, came out as a second lieutenant and started my career doing heavy construction, you know, with some really great reservists down in the Southeast United States and uh, eventually found my way into the Iowa Army. National Guard. And, and at that time, you know, as a number of years ago, women couldn't be combat engineers and the Iowa National Guard, that's all they had. They didn't have the uh, combat heavy engineers. They just had combat engineers. So I was told at that time, you need to change your branch if you want to command a line unit. And I did want to command a line unit. So they told me you can be quartermaster, you can be ordnance, or you can be transportation. And so I uh, did a branch transfer into transportation and ended up commanding commanding a company, a transportation company overseas in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And interestingly enough, it was the same company that my father had belonged to um, a couple decades prior. So really enjoyed the experience. Um, stayed in the Iowa Army National Guard for a number of years, went on to become a logistician, a battalion commander, and uh, retired at the rank of lieutenant colonel. But I tell you what, my time in the military was phenomenal. I absolutely love the men and women that I worked with. Well, you know, Senator, one of the reasons that we do this podcast is to be able to bring voices like yours, you know, to the community without all the fluff and fanfare of, of a press conference. So, um, you know, we just want to have the opportunity to talk about the issues. You've recently enjoyed some legislative wins, including securing a site for an important monument on the National Mall that we'll talk about, some extremely specialized medical facilities for our uniformed members and their families, and all while fighting against military sexual assault, as well as you know Russian aggression and Ukraine. As a sitting member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, do you mind if we start with some of the national security challenges that you're dealing with now? No, oh, absolutely, and I think that's a that's a great place to start. You know, we. Uh, the great power threats continue to loom. And today it's it's Russia's intent to invade a U.S. partner in Ukraine. Uh, tomorrow, maybe China looking to invade Taiwan. There are threats everywhere. But we can't forget about the specter of terrorism as well. Uh, there's many who w want to move on from Afghanistan, from that withdrawal disaster, but I will not. Um, we have to recognize that terrorism is still out there. And here on the home front, I want to be clear, you know, we have an incredible military. I think we all can agree to that. And while I'm pursuing reform, uh, reforms, particularly in the area of, of military sexual assault, I also want to restore the confidence and faith in our armed services and the men and women who wear our nation's uniform. Yeah. I, Senator, I think, I think, given your experience and your visibility on these issues, that that is so important for you to take such leadership on. And and just a couple of questions, you know, you really are one of those voices in the Senate that people listen to when it talks about the military and veteran issues, and particularly your perspective of having been a woman serving in the military on this military sexual assault issue. And I know you're on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Did you ever consider or would you ever consider joining SVAC? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. That would be a consideration um, because our veterans are just absolutely incredible. And we want to make sure that that we are honoring our commitments to them. Um, Our nation is strong because of their significant sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So certainly it would be definitely a consideration. And I just wanted to follow up about your concern about what's happening on the national security issues. You know, with the with the almost it seems like imminent threat of Russia moving into Ukraine, um, and it seems one of the flashpoints is this participation in NATO and whether and whether Ukraine would actually ever you know you know join and be part of this. Do you have any Do you have any feelings about the relationship between? our responsibility to a country like Ukraine in terms of protecting them from this type of threat? Absolutely. I do have very strong feelings about Um, our role, not just with Ukraine, but globally with our allies and partners. And what I want uh, the listeners to know and understand that it's it's more than just Ukraine. It is about fighting for democracy around the globe. And the threat that countries, great power uh, powers like China and Russia bring, um, they want to expand globally. And while they are expanding, that means areas of democracy will be contracting. And that's why we need to engage, whether it is with Ukraine, whether it's with Taiwan. Now, I'm not saying it has to be military action. Um, There are many tools that we have in our toolbox that we can use. But people just need to understand the importance of protecting democracy. And uh, I know that our veterans understand that. I know our service members understand that. And that's why I engage so heavily in these areas. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. I mean, reflecting on your time when you were a commander in Iraq, and so how would you say that the global war on terror is going? I mean, you know, watching the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan, the persistent launching of ballistic missiles from North Korea, the invasion of Crimea, and Russia now sending, you know, ground forces to the to the Ukrainian border. It just seems like we bounce back and forth between guerrilla fighters like the Islamic State and then threats from organized armies like China and Russia. I mean, how how do we stay ahead? Yeah, this is a really tough question, and it is something that I think about a lot. Uh, the global war on terror, while we have left Afghanistan, uh, we know that that war on terror is not over. And so it, it does keep me up at night wondering where and when those adversaries will strike. Uh, They do have a way of moving around the globe and engaging in different countries in different ways. Um, You know, the asymmetrical warfare exists out there. So I worry. Um, But uh, overall, our our national defense really diminishes the more adversaries um, from the Taliban and Iran's cluster, of course, the the violent extremist organizations. and all the way to those great power competitors like China, Russia, and North Korea. At any time, they can call our bluff and see where we cannot bear the cost of achieving our goals. And they are testing us right now, I feel. Uh, diplomacy is it, it will only work when our country's leaders are respected. And we 
also need updated concepts, um, operating concepts. We need access and placement, which is important why we engage around the globe. Um, experimentation and new capabilities, we need to invest in those areas. Um, and then, of course, our operational relationships with military and governmental organizations. You know, we can't withdraw from the world. We need to make sure that we are engaging. Uh, I do sit on the Emerging Threats and Capabilities Subcommittee of the Armed Services uh, Committee in the Senate. And we really focus on personnel, equipment, how we gain the greatest advantage, how we counteract these challenges, um, and also working through uh, special operations command, you know, with our special forces, special operators. Um, they are the ones that are best trained and positioned to really balance the challenges of great power competition, as well as push back on some of these violent extremist organizations. So yes, I worry, um, but there are ways that we can counteract that. Senator, now that our troops are withdrawn from Afghanistan and the issue of Americans facing the global terrorism threat isn't really on the news every day. One of the things we've talked about on the show is, will the American public forget about how important this fight is? And, you know, once it's sort of off the, off the news media for a couple months, does it become harder to remind people of exactly what you're talking about? I know that it's been really important for you to always honor those in the past that have sacrificed and given to the country, like you supported the World War II Army Rangers getting the Congressional Medal of Honor uh, recently, and John Rayan was able to be there at, at Capitol Hill to, you know, for, for that type of recognition of the Army Rangers. But are you worried that this issue is just going to be harder for the American public to keep in their mind, particularly with the pandemic going on? It is hard, but I I would say that in my experience, especially as I'm back home in Iowa, so many people have been touched by the global war mm -hmm. on terrorism. I don't know many people across my great state, and I'm just making the assumption that every state is going to be similar to mine, that uh, they have a cousin or a brother or sister, um, maybe their mother or father deployed in the global war on terrorism. They had a neighbor kid maybe that, that mm -hmm. left and headed to Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, People were touched by the war on terrorism in so many ways. Uh, most of America, if they were alive at the time, they were watching those towers fall. They saw what happened to the Pentagon and what happened in Shanksville. And it's always in the back of our minds. So I'm finding it's not as hard to remind people, but we will see. You know, we are just recently out of Afghanistan. And that's why building the Global War on Terrorism Memorial has been so important to me, is that the years will pass and memories will fade. But if we have a memorial on our National Mall, it will be there forever. And these families, the communities, um, will have a place to come and remember their loved ones and the significant sacrifice that was given uh, fighting terrorism around the globe. And those Gold Star families, the wonderful families that lost a loved one, um, 
they, they will have a place of healing as well. So it's been important. Um, we've had a lot of great supporters. Uh, you know, of course, just everyday Iowan, everyday American has come together to help with this effort. But we've had a lot of um, very well-known people that have stepped up and taken the challenge of pushing this across the finish line. You know, um, Five for Fighting, uh, singer uh, John Androsik has been really important. Mm -hmm. Um uh Milo Ventimiglia, he's been very uh, instrumental in pushing this, and actor, musician Gary Sinise, uh, he as well has been very involved in this effort. And so I want to thank them as well for taking the time. I know they are very busy, but this effort was important to them as well. So yep. here in a few years, gentlemen, we are we are going to see it come to fruition and we will see that memorial honoring all the great folks, the communities, the families that engaged in the global war on terrorism. Yeah. And, and Senator, that, that is so important. I know that you also care deeply about being more proactive and getting our veterans the type of help that they need with mental health issues and also with um, your, your push to really develop this regional Joint Ocular Trauma Center in the Defense Health Agency. And so can you talk a little bit about the health needs that you see in both our active military and our veterans when it comes to mental health and also ocular issues? Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you. And and you of all people are so intimately familiar with the needs of our veterans and within the VA community. And so Marionette, Dr. Marionette Miller Meeks was heavily engaged on the house side when it came to ocular health. And focusing on that is important for our veterans, not only as an aging issue, as we see our veterans age and access uh, access uh, treatment at facilities within the VA, but also those that have suffered from injury um, and making sure that we are focusing on sight and, and the health of sight uh, is very important to our veterans. Um, I have a dear friend that had gone to Iowa State with me, and while he was serving in Afghanistan, he was struck in the head um, by a bullet. He was shot six times, and one, one of those rounds hit him in the head. It did destroy... Um, his sight in his left eye, while he was able to retain his own eye, he does not have sight any longer. Mm. Um, so that did affect him uh, profoundly. And while even uh, losing a leg in his example as well, he could have gone on to continue to serve in a special operations unit without a leg, but without sight in one of his eyes, um, he was not able to continue on with his team. So it does affect in so many different ways. So it is very, very important. Um, also touching on the area of brain health and mental health. Uh, this is an, an era's long endeavor um, to really focus on making sure that traumatic brain injury is, uh, is identified and treated as soon as possible, because we know that with those types of injuries, there are follow-on um, implications uh, such as substance abuse, um, behavioral issues, 
and in the most extreme cases, suicide. And so we really need to focus on our veterans' mental health, traumatic brain injury, and find innovative ways of treating so that we can prevent those most extreme cases and make sure that our veterans can go on to live healthy and happy lives. Senator, thank you. That, that was very powerful. And, you know, I know that one of your largest focus areas is curbing and, and hopefully eliminating sexual assault in the military, something that, you know, that we know that you take very personally. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've been able to bring change to DOD when it comes to addressing sexual assault? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a, a very personal issue for me and for so many um, that have been affected by sexual assault, uh, whether in the military or outside of the military. And so uh, working across the aisle with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand uh, has been very important to me. And, and we were able to achieve a number of, of successes in this year's and uh, or this past year's NDAA. And we made changes to the UCMJ and how the military prevents and prosecutes sexual assault. And so specifically, we saw big steps forward. Um, uh, some of the new provisions would remove the authority to decide whether a case is prosecuted from the commanders um, to an independent military prosecutor. So it's still within the military, but it goes to that special prosecutor. Um, and I'm also thankful that within this measure, we were able to introduce physical security improvements um, that can be made to dormitories uh, where our soldiers, airmen, Marines reside. And of course, the advanced sexual assault education, prevention education um, that will now be mandatory for military officers and our enlisted force. Um, so for me, it was very much about prevention of sexual assault, because once that's happened, lives are changed forever. Um, and with Senator Gillibrand, Kirsten was very focused on, okay, if it does happen, um, horrible circumstance than making sure that it is properly prosecuted. So we were able to bring ideas together, again, working in a bipartisan way and finding solutions that we hope will work within our military. Um, so the focus now will turn to implementation and that 24 month clock to get everything put into place. It started in December when the president signed the NDAA. Um, so I'll be working now to make sure that the DOD is held accountable and making sure that those measures are being implemented on time. Great. Well, Senator, we know you're extremely busy. We appreciate the time that you spent with us today and thank you for your continued leadership and advocacy on behalf of both the military and the veterans, and we'll continue to be there cheering on the sideline for the work that you continue to do. And um, Lou, I'll just turn it back to you for any final words. Sure. And, and as always, Senator, we want to make sure that, that our guests have the final word. Is, is there anything that, um, you know, that you're working on now that you'd like our listeners to know that, that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Well, of course, there will always be a number of issues within in the veteran space and for our service members, but we've already touched a little on something that is very important, and that is the brain health and making sure that, that we are uh, working 
for our veterans doing the right thing, whether it's through the VA, gaining access through um, even independent uh, sources of information and treatment. But brain health is really important. So preventing substance abuse, which can lead to so many other issues, is exceptionally important. Um, so that will be an area of focus that I have specific, specifically when it comes to our veterans. But always, you know, I get great ideas from my Iowa veterans. Um, a number of my guardsmen that I have served with, they always reach out with great ideas. I always get a text. Hey, Joni, what do you think about this? Um, so we'll continue to work for the veterans. Um, never doubt that. Um, and I, I look forward to continuing to serve them in the United States Senate. And, and again, gentlemen, thanks for the time today sure. and all that you do uh, to serve our veterans as well. It's so important that we make sure we are honoring our commitment to those that wore our nation's uniform. And thank you so much for being a leader and a champion on these very important issues that our, our listeners care so deeply about. And really, I, I just I want to thank you and your staff for making this happen. We had to uh, you know, we had to really work hard to squeeze this in and we really appreciate your time and, and your staff has just been, you know, so professional and, you know, you've got a great team. I have the best. I agree. <laughs> Thank you so much. Such an honor. Thank you. And that is it. That really is all the time that we have for today. So join us next week. We're going to have a guest named Mike Saforno on who runs an opera, uh, a program called Operation Backbone and uh, with some generous support from the Buffalo Sabres. You're not going to want to miss this episode, especially if you're like one of the many listeners out there that suffer with back pain. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Policy Vets podcast. For more information about projects and other podcasts, go to policyvets.org.